Turn to your neighbor and say, faith can move mountains. Come on, tell them. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Lord God, for your presence already felt in this place, ministering to every person. There's assignments in this place that are being ministered to, destinies that are being ministered to, Lord God, futures that are being ministered to, bodies, Lord God, of health are being ministered to, minds that are being ministered to. We thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Bless the word, anointed, O oh God, as it comes forth, I pray. And everybody said a big amen. Yes, faith can move mountains. So how big does your faith have to be? That's the question. How big, if faith can move mountains, and how big does it have to be to move a mountain? It's prolific. It's a great question. So Jesus was asked this question by his disciples. When they started seeing miracle signs and wonders that were blowing their mind, and then they said, Jesus said, you can do the same things. And they, they, it boggled them. They thought, well, how can we do such great things as the lame walking, the blind seeing, the dead being raised to life again. I mean, these are incredible things, encounters that people have that are just, you know, you read about. You don't actually do them. And they were to be called miracle workers. And so they went to Jesus, and they, they knew it had to do with faith because they watched the faith of Jesus. And they said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And here's what Jesus said that was so profound. He said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Everybody say mustard seed. How many have seen mustard seed before? You can help me. So you know. But if you haven't seen it, it's just the tiniest little round seed. It's so small, I couldn't even, if I tried to hold it up, you wouldn't be able to do it. They'd have to magnify it on the screen for you to be able to see it. If I dropped it on the floor, we probably would lose it for a while because it's so tiny. But the Bible says that a mustard seed, though it is the smallest of the seeds, when it's planted in the garden, becomes the greatest herb to come forth out of the earth that's in the garden. So big, he said, until the birds of the air can actually make their nests in the branches of that plant and have their children, their, their children, their babies there, and they can, ha they can have their home right in the branches of a mustard seed. That's how big it almost becomes like a tree the mustard branches do to support that kind of weight, and yet it comes out of the smallest of things, the smallest of seeds. And Jesus said, you want me to increase your faith? I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to that mulberry tree, be root up from the ground, be planted into the sea, and it will obey you and grow. Another translation says, obey you, grow, and bear fruit. Now, we know that trees are not planted in the water. They need a water supply, but certainly not salt water. It will kill most trees, but especially the mulberry tree. But we know that it needs soil for it to mature and bring forth fruit. But he said you can take it by faith so small, plant it in a foreign environment, and even in that foreign environment, it will produce. Oh, Jesus. That's why you shouldn't complain about your neighborhood. Come on, someone say Amen. You may be there only for a season, but while you're there, great things can happen. It may be a foreign environment. It may not look like much fruit can come from it. Come on, somebody. But because you're there, something great can come of it. Amen, church. And, and so, so Jesus said, that's the, that's the understanding. You can move a mountain. You can speak to a mulberry tree and tell it to, be, to, to grow somewhere else. He said, but all it takes, not great faith, all it takes is that 
faith that's small, but yet it seems insignificant, but can do great things. And this morning, I want to give you five small acts of faith that will give you huge results. You can take the notes. If you don't have a place to take notes, you can get the podcast tomorrow. They'll upload it and go back over and write your notes then. But number one is this. This is one of the acts of small faith. God provides when you offer him what you have by faith. Sometimes we want to offer God the big stuff, but sometimes we ain't got the big stuff to offer. So by faith, we offer what we do have to him, and by faith, when we do that, God will provide. By the way, wherever God guides, God provides. I'm going to say that one more time. It's really good. Wherever God guides, you don't have to worry about it. God provides. It will take your faith, though it be small, because little can become much when you put it into the hands of the almighty God. If you give him two fish and five loaves, he'll feed a multitude. If you give him six water pots, come on, pots that are full of water, he will give you the choicest wine in all six pots. If you give him the first fish you catch, he gives you enough gold to pay off your taxes and his. God is a God of more than enough, and he takes what you have, and he multiplies it right in his hand. Amen, somebody. I heard we had somebody in West Dallas went over $700 million dollars. We got to call them up. Come on, so now I'm just teasing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you say, well, that's how this happens to somebody else. Why can't stuff like that happen for you? Where is your faith? I'm just saying that God's got something great for you that blows your mind, but you've got to have some faith, not, not maybe not the greatest of faith, but something that says, I simply believe. Yeah, God will provide. He will provide. Look at Samuel chapter 2, verse uh, two. This is coming from the story of Elkanah, the husband of Hannah, who would become the mother of Samuel, the prophet. Listen to this. And he had two wives, talking about Elkanah. And the name of one was Hannah, the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the, his city yearly to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and uh, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Catch that. And her rival, that would be, of course, Peninnah, also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Look at us men trying to fix problems. So, so, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting in the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. She wanted a baby. 
and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. That's the Nazarite vow. It's to become a priest. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put, put your wine away. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. I want you to catch something here. We have a woman, just real quick, I'm going to go right back to it. We have a woman that's grieved because she wants to bear a child. In those days in particular, to not bear a child was a shame to the woman. But she wanted to have her own child. Looked upon the other woman, she was getting as many as she wanted. But what about me? And that's usually what we have in our own lives. Lord, other people are getting blessed. How come I'm not getting blessed? What's wrong with me? And we begin to bind the devil because we think the devil's behind it. But you know the Bible says that God closed her womb. It wasn't supposed to be forever. It was only temporary. God will use these things in our lives to get our focus back online so that we can cry out to him, utilize our faith, though it be small. Sometimes you don't know what to pray, but you know who to pray to. Come on, church. And so he said, I'm going to pray. She said, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek God. So she set herself to do it. And then she was misunderstood by the priest. She was ridiculed by the other woman, all those things. But she continued to pray, kind of like us, during the time of Passover, eight days. Last night was the end of Passover. We're going to continue today. But the last, the last night was last night, eight days. We said, Lord, we're believing you for something special. We made these commitment cards. We said, God, we're going to give. We're going to honor you. We're going to get malice out of our heart. We're going to get unforgiveness out of our heart. We're to make you number one again. It's your appointment with us, but Lord, we got request. We got something we want you to touch. We want. We got unanswered prayer. We have things we don't understand why it's going on in our bodies or in our lives or in our mind or within our relationship or our children. So God, we cry out to you, and God does hear your prayer. His arm is not short. His ear is ever attentive to hear what you've got to say. Don't you ever listen to the devil say, your prayer does not mix, does not go to heaven. That's a lie. God hears our prayers. And for eight, y'all be clapping a lot louder than that, y'all. This is Faith Builders International Ministry Church of the First High God. Amen. And so I'm saying to you is that's exactly what we've been doing with Hannah, crying out to God. Crying out to we have faith. Why? We've got faith to believe that God actually listens to us when we pray. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went, the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning to worship. 
before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of the time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And when she made a vow and she decided to give an offering, don't tell me, God, don't mingle the two together. When she did the two things, her womb was open. What in your life has been like a close? up womb. You can't be creative. Things are not happening. That business never got off the ground. That relationship never materialized. That house was almost there, but you didn't get it. What's going on? i tell you what's going on. we got a people that are crying out to God, saying, God, if you don't do it, we can't have it. But if you will do it, I will offer to you what is already yours. I'll give it to you. Amen. I got half the crowd with me this morning, but we're going to get the rest of you. Number two, what happens when you begin to walk in a little bit of faith? Overwhelming odds crumble when by faith you boldly declare its defeat. When you get strong in the face of your circumstances that are trying to defeat you and say, no way are you going to be able to do this today. When you get strong like David did, i got to tell a story about David. David was one of Jesse's sons. And Samuel, the man we were talking about, the young kid that grew up in the house of God and became a strong strong prophet of God, in the house of God. God spoke to him and said, I got a king. I want to rule over my people. And he lives in Jesse's house. Take your horn of oil and go anoint him as the king. So he goes and knocks on the door of Jesse. Said, he tells what the Lord said. So Jesse gathers up all the boys and says, here they are. And he begins to go down the line one by one to look at him. He says, nope, that's not the one. Another one, nope, not that. He goes through all the sons he says, wait a second here. God told me he's one of your sons, and none of these are the one. Are you telling me you don't have another son? Well, yes, I do. He's a young kid, teenager. He's in the back side of the field. He keeps my sheep. He's a little stinky right now. He's kind of a, he's a ruddy kid. He gets a little bit of trouble. He's a little mischievous. His name is David. But, you know, he said, bring me the lad. So he brings David to the house. The Spirit of God falls on Samuel, and God says, that's the one. And Samuel takes his horn of oil and pours it over the head of David and said, you shall be the next king of Israel. At the time, Saul was the king of Israel. But God rejected Saul because of his disobedience and said, David is a man after my own heart. And maybe nobody else knows him. But let me tell you something. If your natural father never recognized who you were and didn't put a stamp of approval upon you, don't you worry about it. The God of heaven, the father of all mankind, he knows who you are. He's marked you for greatness. Come on. Little as much. He may have seemed insignificant, but God didn't overlook the potential that was in the seed called David. And they went off to war, and David was too young for that kind of battle yet. He wasn't because he didn't have courage. You see, when he was in the field, a lion tried to attack his father's sheep, and he took his bare hand and smote the lion and killed him with his bare hands. Another time, a bear tried to wander into camp and take another sheep, and with his bare hands, he defeats the bear, breaks his neck. That's what he had. He had an anointing on him that nobody else saw but God alone. And the boys go to battle. And, and, and Jesse's missing his sons. He says, David, here, here's some lunch, some cheese, and take it to my boys and, and, and feed them and give me back word from them. Tell them what's going on. 
So he takes faithfully the, this basket of food to go feed the brothers, the sons of Jesse. And he gets there to his surprise. He does see military men, all the, the, the armies of Israel on a hill, massive group of people. And then a massive valley. And then the other side of the hill is another group of people called the Philistines who were there to fight them. But to his amazement, nobody was engaged in battle. And everybody was hiding. In Israel, they were afraid and ashamed of themselves because there was a massive giant that were from the Philistines that came in the valley and began to hurl all kinds of curses over Israel, cussing them out real good, making them feel very small and insignificant. And then said, listen, we don't all need to fight today. I'm the greatest warrior. You send out your best battle man, and we'll go to town and we'll battle. And if he kills me, we'll bow our knee and we'll serve you. But if I kill him, you'll bow your knee and you'll serve us. And there was nobody that Saul could find to fight the giant. They were all afraid. Fear and intimidation was all over them. But when David saw that giant cursing and screaming, Something different came upon him. Just like when you've been anointed by God like he was anointed, there's something different about you. You don't run from a battle, you run to the battle. And he says, why aren't we taking this guy out? Who's somebody who can stand up? And nobody would stand up. And he said, I'll do it. I'll take him out. Let me talk to the king. He goes in to sees the king. The king says, I don't know about this, but if you're willing to try. He was so scared. That's how scared the king was, if you're willing to try. And they tried to put the king's armor on top of, of, top of David. And David was just a, a teenager, maybe 20 years of age at all, at the, very, at the very height. And so he can't wear it. It's too bulky for him. So he takes it off. By the way, you have to learn something. You cannot wear somebody else's armor to battle. You can't have somebody else's revelation, somebody else's word. You got to have something that fits you, that you've lived yourself. He said, get this stuff off of me. I'm really good with a sling. He said, take me to the river brook. They took him to the river brook and he picked five smooth stones. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Puts them in his little pouch. And he says, all I need is one, the prophetic one. Come on, somebody. And he puts the prophetic one in that, that sling and goes out and he faces the giant. The giant laughs at him. You send a boy out to fight a champion? It's like, a, it's like somebody shaking a stick at a dog. Are you crazy? Crazy? He said, crazy? You're the one that's crazy. He said, how dare you cuss us out, you uncircumcised Philistine. He was cussing him out real good. You uncircumcised. Who do you think you are? We are the armies of the living God. We are backed by Jehovah God, and he will put you in my hand. And this day, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take off your head. I'm going to feed your body to the fowls of the air. And he got the sling in that stone. He released that stone. And that stone upon the word that he declared. I said the word by faith he spoke. The word by faith he spoke was like a heat-seeking missile and found the only vulnerable place in his armor. And that was right between his eyes. And the stone wind sunk between his eyes and knocked that giant down. He fulfilled his word. He didn't know if he was dead or not, but he went over. He didn't have a sword, but he picked up the sword of Goliath, weighing over 100 pounds, took it and took off his head, picked his head up and said, my God has put you into my hand. Bow your knee. 
insignificant. Father didn't even know who he was. Something small. But God knew exactly who he was and the capability that God put inside of him that he was in fact not a shepherd of a few sheep, but he was a giant killer and a king. Number three, when you put small faith into action, change comes when by faith you recognize your God-given potential. When you know what God has made you for, when you recognize you may not have your act together and you don't always do a thing right, that's not what God's requiring of you, but that you actually know the destiny that God put inside of you. And by the way, you're destined to overcome because that's the written in the book, and that's for every single believer. We're all destined to overcome. I feel like preaching now. I feel a holy boldness coming over me now. The visitors look at me like, oh, my God. It's okay. Praise God. It's all good. Touch your neighbor and say, it's all good. It's all good. I'm, I get excited. I'm sorry. I'm a passionate man. I think I will preach a little bit here. So we see that. We see that God, he wants to help Israel because he had put them under the bondage of the Midians. The Midians or the Midianites were the ones that kept Israel in a place of bondage for seven years because the Bible says because of the disobedience of Israel and because of their evil ways. He allowed the enemy, the Midianites, to take control over them. And the Bible says it was cruel, that they were starving to death half the time, they were under the rulership of the Midianites half the time, and the Midians, anytime they wanted something from them, they went and just took it from them, whether it be their women, whether it be their livestock, whether it be their, whether it be their, 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 uh, their agriculture, whatever it was. Matter of fact, the Bible says there were so many camels that would show up in Israel and so many horsemen and so many foot soldiers that the eye, that the eye could see that could not be numbered. Could not be, and they, every time harvest came, they would go take what they wanted and then just destroy the rest, smash it or burn it down to the ground and leave little to nothing left for the Israelites to just be beggars of the Midianites. That's how terrible it was. But the people of God, like we've been doing, Begin to cry out saying, Lord, we need change. We're sorry. We, we shouldn't have done those things. And we're, we've gotten our flesh and we, didn't, we just did wrong. Forgive us. And when they begin to ask God to forgive them, God heard their prayer. That's all he wants. He just wants us to be real with him, y'all. That's all he wants, all he's ever wanted. Be real. Be honest with where you're at. And, and so God sends an angel. And the angel goes by a man's place by the name of Gideon. Gideon was just a farmer, y'all. That's all he was. He was taking care of a wheat patch. And what he did was he took care of the wheat patch and he was threshing it in the wine press so he could be behind closed quarters so that the Midianites wouldn't know what he was doing and take what he had. And that's where we get. We get very protective of what we have. And it's not because we're, we're not hoarding because we're bad people. We're hoarding because we're afraid. We're afraid that what we do have is actually going to be taken from us and it's already too small. And so that becomes a real big issue for a lot of people. And so it was a big issue for him. But the angel of the Lord came by. And the angel said, the angel said, Oh, mighty man of valor, God has chosen you this day. And he said, uh, who, me? Yeah, you, mighty man of valor. He is nothing but a scared farmer. And then he says, why would God choose me? I'm the least of my own tribesmen. I'm the least in my own family. 
and within my kindred. He said, are you calling me? He said, and he said, furthermore, and, and then Gideon gets upset, and he says, if God is with us, where has he been? Why the, every time we plant, our stuff gets ruined. Why are we under the tyranny of the Midianites if God is for us? And the reason was because of their rebellion. And so he said, you have been chosen to defeat your enemies. God is with you this day, almighty man of valor. You have the assignment from almighty God. Gideon receives the assignment, puts a couple fleeces out there, receives the assignment. He calls for all the soldiers to come together, 22,000. That's not a bad number. Not a great number, but not bad. 22,000 troops come, and God says, no, I don't want all them. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it my way. If we're going to defeat them in short order, we've got to do this by faith. And faith is the only thing that changes circumstances on earth. He said, now here's what we'll do. We're going to whittle that number down, 22,000. You take them down by the river and you tell them to drink water. And he says, and the ones that get down on all four and lap up the water with their tongue like a dog, I don't want them. But the ones that get down on one knee and take the water and cup it and bring it to their mouth and sip it up, he said, those are the ones that I want. He said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. 22,000 men get down there and I'm telling you, the majority of the men go down on all fours and lap the water up like a dog, but only 300 men went down to one knee and brought the water to their mouth, and God said, those 300 are your men. Those are the ones that are going to take on the Midianites. That's all you need. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what my opinion is. I believe it's a true opinion because those that put their heads, soldiers that put their heads down, only think of themselves. But a man that puts his knee down and brings the water up to his mouth, he can look around to make sure nobody's going to get his partner's back and nobody's going to get his back. Come on, somebody. He's always got a vigilant eye. Come on, somebody. I want somebody like that in my foxhole. Come on. And so, and so now then, and now then he said, those are your men. And God said, you will destroy them. He takes them, they go, and they wipe out the whole thing. All the Midianites were destroyed, and they take back the spoils, and Israel gets a brand new day. Little is much when you give it to God. It may not seem like much, but it is. When you recognize your potential, it may seem small, but when you begin to go through the process, God will make it great. Number four, the fourth thing is influence comes when by faith you stay faithful to what you've been given. If you don't quit, if you just keep on going, the influence you need will come. This church has influence today. It took us a long time to get to that place because when my wife and I came here in 1999, we're not from Milwaukee. We're from Rockford, Illinois. And when God told us to come, we came with ourselves, my, just her, I, my two little children, and two other adult people. That's who we came with. And every week, we a little bit more and a little bit more, and then be leveled off, and then a little bit more. And God was, so, so we received a vision out of Isaiah 61 that whoever he gave to me was precious and that they were the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified and to treat them as such. They may be the misfits. It doesn't matter. They're going to fit in my kingdom perfectly. And we've been faithful to do that week after week after week. And now 20 years later, thank God, we're no longer in a hotel room. We get to have our own facility. Come on, somebody. Do big things for Jesus. See 500 people saved in one weekend. And thousands over the years. Come on, somebody. Amen. Being faithful now has given us influence in our community. That's why I thank God for this church. I wonder, do you thank God for this church? Do you really do? Because that all of us together, it takes a family to get done what we're called to do. 
reaching the unreached, building the church, serving our city. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, he who is faithful in that which is least will also be faithful in much. That's the test. If you can't be faithful with the car you do have, then quit dreaming about the car you really want because you'll never get it. If you don't put the oil changes and, and, and put it to the wash and get the McDonald's cups out of the back seat, come on, somebody. Guess what? You may not be able to have something greater. If you're faithful in what's least, you'll be faithful in what is much. If you want a better home, better apartment, you got to treat the one you have right now with some respect. Y'all don't want to. Even your own talents. Some of you got, to, I ain't got no talent. I'm a, yes, everybody's got something. Everybody's got something to offer, but you start somewhere. You don't wait for the big deal to come. The man that won the, won the millions of dollars, God bless him. Praise God. That's wonderful. Uh, and, and the truth is, is that, the truth is, is that, look, church, people say, well, I'm going to give my tithe. Boy, as soon as I get that, I'll win that lottery. And when I win that lottery, pastor, you're going to get my tithe. I can't get you tithe than $10 you got now. No. If you're, that's the principle. I had to learn it. I had to learn the same thing. I had to learn it when I had an old Chevy that was already 20 years old. Doors didn't match. One had one color, one had the other color. So rusted, you could only drive a certain mile per hour. If you hit 55 or 60, the whole car starts speaking in tongues. Just like I had the spare on the car, no spare. Come on, somebody. I remember all those days. I don't have to drive that Chevy no more, praise God, because I was faithful in what he gave me. Amen. And number five, and finally, debt is defeated when by faith you're obedient to God's word. If you'll stretch up by faith and simply obey. And I'm reminded of the story of Elisha that goes to the woman's heart, house that has, she owes the creditors. You know, back in those days, her husband had died and he owed a lot of money. In those days, you paid up. As soon as he died, all the money was due. And if you couldn't pay up, the next person in your household who had a strong back had to work off the debt in what was called debtor's prison. So they put him in prison, and they would work them from sun up to sun down every single day until they paid the debt off. And they didn't get paid minimum wage even. They, I mean, they got paid very little. So they had to pay it off. And so she's hurting. Her husband's dead. She's emotionally, she's a wreck. They're about to take her boys. That's another emotional hit. She doesn't have the money to pay. She's overwhelmed. She's over her head. She has nothing to, 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 she's poor. And Elisha shows up and says, what can I do for you? And she said, well, I, she goes, the creditors are coming and I have nothing to give. He goes, well, listen to his reply. He said, well, what do you have in your house? She says, well, I got nothing. Really? That's what the Bible says. I got nothing. That was her reply. But then she finishes and she goes, but I do have a little oil in a jar in that cupboard over there. In other words, she knew the oil was there, but she considered it so little compared to the big old need that she had that how in the world is that going to help me with this? And she goes, well, I, I don't have anything. I just got a little jar of oil. He said, good. See, God's always looking to see what you got. You can't have a garden without a seed. It may be small, but if you give it some time, it'll grow. And she said, well, he said, the oil, you want the oil? Give me the oil. Brings it out. He's now here's what you do. Hear the word of the Lord. God's going to change your situation. Knock on all the doors of your neighbors and borrow vessels. Don't borrow a few of them. Borrow as many as you get your hands on. 
and get them in the house. And when you and your sons have the vessels in the house, close the door behind you and begin to pour the oil and pour the oil until all the vessels are full. Now, you know in her head's going, what? How am I going to do that? You saw I had that much in the bottom of a jar of oil and I'm supposed to fill vessels? Do it. All you have to do is be obedient to what God says to do. Your job isn't the miracle. Your job is the act of obedience. His job is the miracle. So, so she goes, borrows all the vessels, puts them in the house. They close the door, and she starts pouring. You know, when she started pouring, the faith it took to watch as that stuff, you're going, okay, that's going to take about three and a half seconds. And I got all these vessels. And she poured, and she poured, and she poured. And I don't know if the mount changed in the bottom of that thing or got Feel, I don't know how it worked. I'm guessing it probably stayed like that. And it just kept pouring supernaturally every single one of those vessels. And the Bible says that all of them were full until there were no more. Then she called for the prophet and said, he did it. He said, good. He said, now take the oil and sell it. It was good oil. He said, take it and sell it and pay off your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. She went... By a word of the Lord, taking something so little that seemed like no big deal, what she had, she gives it and begins to pour it by faith. And she starts her own oil business to not only pay off her debt, but she was able to, she was able to retire and move to Hawaii. Amen. That's not in the Bible, but that's just in my head. But she was able to, she was able to retire on the rest. God wants to take care of our needs. He wants to take care of my physical needs, my financial needs, my, my relationship needs. He wants to be all-encompassing in my life, and he will do it. Little becomes much. Say it with me. Little becomes much.